We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, the Friday episode for Week Six. Derek Van Riper here with Tim Heaney, and if you are enjoying this podcast in a season that has been complete and utter garbage, in my opinion, we'd really appreciate it if you took a few minutes to leave us a nice review and/or rating on iTunes. I think you have to do a review or a rating to do a review, but not a review to do a rating. So keep that in mind. Uh, if you like the pod, please. Uh, leave us a review and rating. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, Thursday night game to recap, Broncos and Chargers. Injuries to talk about. Uh, Monday night game, we'll get to that, as well as uh, talking about some players we really like on DraftKings as well. All right, Tim, let's start with the the basics. How's your Friday going? How's your week been? How are you, how are you feeling going into this week six? Um, it's, it's, it, I don't want to say it's like the, the, uh, the dog days of summer, like foot baseball, and then now it's kind of like the dog days of autumn a little bit are approaching, I think. I mean, life-wise, I, I, life-wise, I think I'm all right. Uh, you know, it's just a case of just another week of football and getting used to what we're seeing so far. 
yeah, making making it seem logical is still so far away, though. Like we're, <laughs> we're five weeks into this, and so little about the league to this point really makes sense to me. Like, it, it, <laughs> like predicting games, trying to pick games against the spread. We do those every Thursday. I've been a utter disaster with that. Uh, my own doing, I guess, or I, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know how how much of it is my own fault and, and how much of it is just the universe just being off in 2016. I mean, this year's this year has been bad, like prior to this NFL season being below the curve and it could change. I mean, the season down the stretch could be phenomenal. The second half could be good. The playoffs could be great. It could be an epic Super Bowl. All those things could still happen. And the Super Bowl, the playoffs being good would be 2017. So that would that would be great to remove the stench of 2016 with an, an outstanding uh, Super Bowl in 2017. That's something I'm kind of looking forward to. Part of this 2016 everything stinks debacle is the Cubs rolling and, and just looking infallible in baseball. Like I, I just know, like this this really is their year because as a fan of a different team in that division, things feel even better than usual as far as the Cubs' chances of getting it done this year. You can just tell nothing and nothing nothing matters right now to me in football. Like it's all just. It's all just people just bouncing around every week doing things that don't make any sense. The Thursday game was the perfect example of that. I mean, San Diego's had a lot of close losses this year. They're certainly not as bad as their record would have indicated. But with that, I still thought those games didn't matter because in the grand scheme of things, missing opportunities doesn't make you any more likely to win a game when you're not supposed to. Like It just means you left opportunities on the table in the past. That's what I felt like the Chargers had done. I didn't feel like, well, the Chargers must be due to win a game against Denver. But Denver was awful. Like I've been ragging all week on, on this Arby's pork belly thing because that shouldn't happen. Like I mean, we talked about pork yesterday, and, and Waylon just unleashed the, the worst bacon take I've ever heard in my life. He's probably going to be banned from this podcast permanently. So if you want Waylon back on the podcast, tweet at me, at Derek Van Riper. Just use the hashtag SaveWaylon. Even, even if you think his bacon take is terrible, <laughs> if I get even one tweet saying to save Waylon, I'll, I'll allow him to continue. But if I get no tweets with the save Waylon hashtag, he's, he's gone. Well, I was so glad I was much more diplomatic when I tweeted you guys about that very subject yesterday. I, I was a little bit more cautious because I do like the opportunity of being on this podcast. So I, I know where to pick my words carefully. But you know what? I'm not saying Nick is not crazy. But there's something to his claim that I've been agreeing with more lately. Maybe as I get older and as I find that bacon is more you know uh, intense of an activity to undertake nowadays than it was when I was in my college days and 20s. You know, bacon. I don't reach for all the time anymore. I know you you have your love affair with bacon, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know roll over you on that one. I'm gonna put bacon in my chili this weekend, and it's gonna be glorious. <laughs> it's gonna be the new the new ingredient. I'm gonna get that nice and crispy, chuck new. it in the crock pot. Yeah, I, I never had bacon in the chili before, but why not? I mean, we we had this conversation once with um, with Steph's work colleagues. We said, is there anything that bacon can't improve like flavor wise i mean you can put bacon with chocolate and it's actually good and the only things we were a little concerned about were citrus items you know like orange and bacon even orange juice and bacon do go together though so that that kind of works but like lemon Uh, and bacon don't really 
match as flavor profiles. Yeah, I mean, orange juice and bacon, you have so many other buttress flavors kind of getting in the way of having them really clash with each other. I think there's kind of a nice little, uh, you know, buffer zone between those things. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily put dip my bacon in orange juice and make it, oh, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. I'm admittedly yeah. hiding from this Thursday night game right now because I, I, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I mean, I've, I've, I've revealed my plan to add bacon to the crock pot of chili what I'm going to tell you next might blow your mind. I'm going to relocate the crock pot. Instead of keeping the crock pot on the kitchen counter where most people think it belongs, it's going to the end table. It's going directly next to the couch, Tim. I'm going to be in a position where I can, from a reclined state, reach into the crock pot with a spoon, scoop out a bite of chili, and not get off the couch. That is my plan for this Sunday. And, and the reason I'm going to do it, my wife's going to the Packer game. I am not. I've got a, a commitment in the morning before the game start that I have to deal with, which I'm I'm not oh, wow. I'm not thrilled about that. I mean, the plan yeah. was to make this the family game. We go to one every year uh, as a family, and the tickets were really expensive. That kind of put me on the on the bubble anyway because I'm the fifth guy. Like my wife's family is a family of four. They got four tickets. I'm the extra guy. They're nice enough to uh, accommodate me every year. This year, I looked at it and like 300 bucks is a lot for a regular season game. That's steep. Mm. I'm not doing that. And this commitment came up. So then it was like, okay, I'm not going to miss a commitment and dump 300 bucks, but I will lay on my couch and eat chili and watch the game because no one's going to be there to tell me it's a bad idea. The only concern I have is making sure that things are arranged in a way where like the crock pot doesn't light the couch on fire, like with the heat. Like I don't, I don't want to start like melting a side of the couch and cause a fire because that would be a lot more work and hassle than it's worth. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? The distance between you and the crockpot is still probably farther than Trevor Simeon can throw a Hail Mary. So I think you'll be okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no no question about that. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this Sunday. Like, I, I don't get many Sundays where there's absolutely nothing else I have to do between kickoff and the last game of the night. And I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably like pre-make my food for the week Saturday afternoon just to have my Sunday completely wide open so please 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 do not ask me to help you move furniture uh on sunday afternoon or any any of those any of those little things that come up where you kind of feel like you're you're obligated to help i I just i need i need this (laughs) i i need this for my own well-being and part of my self-destructive habits uh, of eating chili directly on the couch with the crock pot on the table next to me will include a likely chief stack because why not? Like if, if you're if you're at that level, if you're at the level of just eating the chili right out of the crock pot, you probably don't care about what happens to your bankroll. And I'm not going to use a lot of money. I'm going to play very small entry GPPs, uh, the big field ones with the low entries where the odds are not great, but the payoff could be massive because you know what? We're at this point where if nothing makes sense, I'm going to do things that don't make perfect sense with my lineups because that's the only way to to win big. That's how you separate yourself, man, with with, with couch chili and ridiculous GPP lineup set. That's how we got to stand out from the, the herd these days, man. That's, that's the only that's the only way to do it. So <laughs> if anybody wants to come over and and eat the the crock pot couch chili, uh, <laughs> I've, I'm sure there'll be enough to go around. I don't intend on eating the entire crock pot in one day, but I, I do intend to uh, make myself very comfortable during that process. As this game last night goes, C.J. Anderson. I had a TD call back, had a couple long runs brought back by penalties. It, it, looks, it looks a lot worse than it really was if you're looking at the box score. I mean, that's, that's the, one of the takeaways. But at what point 
does he put himself in danger of losing touches, a higher volume of touches to Devontae Booker? Because to me, it feels like that point is more rapidly approaching than I expected. I thought maybe week 12, week 13, maybe by then, if, if Anderson struggled, Booker could take on part of the role. But I didn't expect Anderson to struggle. I thought in, in Gary Kubiak's offense and seeing how well he was running back in week one against the Panthers, I thought the investments in C.J. Anderson uh, coming out of the draft season looked really safe. Well, we, we we did kind of harp on that after the, the opening game where he just ran over Carolina, but he hasn't averaged more than 3.7 yards on a carry per game since then. Uh, I mean, I'll go back to I'll start off with this point. First of all, you have to pick up Devontae Booker now if you haven't, or at least as soon as you can if you haven't already, because that definitely a great was a great stash guy even earlier on in the year. I mean, but then first of all, you know, second of all, I think you know the. Here's the thing about those those runs being called back on penalties. You have to watch the runs and see if it actually was helped by the holding or whatever was causing it. I think one of them might have had a little bit of help on the with the holding to open him up, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right? Yeah. I, I didn't get to watch so, this game. I, I had a coaching commitment last night, so I didn't get to watch it in detail. So, I mean, you always have to consider, like, oh, it, it got called back on a holding, but, you know, so, oh, so we would have had it anyway. No, maybe the play wouldn't have been possible without the holding. So you have to always keep that in mind. But, you know, the fact that Anderson has been kind of, you know, struggling, it's not just a, it's not, such a, not just a Trevor Simeon being injured, Paxton Lynch starting type of thing, obviously, as we proved last night. He's just, he's not finding the holes right now. And the Broncos line, not great, so maybe you can put some blame on there, but Booker's showing he's much more elusive. He's a one-cut back himself, so that's a very Kubiak style of running. So, um, you know, the, the thing with that is uh, you kind of have to look at that and see if they might make the change on those optics alone. So Booker definitely be added, even if he'll just be flex-worthy as a guy that could really help you in bye weeks coming forward. So the other the other element, though, of this is, I mean, they, they need to be a ground-heavy attack. They need to be effective running the ball because – Trevor Simeon, for, for all the praise we've, we've given him for what he did against the Bengals a few weeks ago, didn't look good at all last night. 30 of 50 for 230 yards, 4.6 yards per attempt. I did have a TD to Benny Fowler, so yeah, Demarius Thomas owners and Emmanuel Sanders owners alike can tilt accordingly. Those two receivers, Thomas and Sanders, were targeted 16 times on a night where Trevor Simeon threw it 50 times. You figure that the Chargers secondary being as, as you know ridiculously stripped of Jason Fred as it is, you'd think that would have been a much easier uh, thing to take advantage of. But they just they couldn't get any any big plays to open up with these guys. They they were covered actually pretty well most of the time. And obviously Simeon playing a little bit hurt, obviously, you know, probably limited his ability to, you know, make some good throws there, even though it was his non throwing shoulder, if I'm not mistaken, but that still has an impact physically on you. So yeah, it's just I mean, it goes to Simeon's limitations in the offense. He's not gonna be a four touchdown guy every week, obviously, with what we saw a couple weeks ago. He has those in him with the right matchup and the right protection, but they weren't protecting him at all last night because Joey Bosa was all over him, and even Melvin Ingram, to a degree, was was very uh, you know all up all up in his face. That that Chargers defense actually has a pass rush that could actually you know throw off quarterbacks now, and so it means at that mediocre tier where he's going to be affected by something like that. Unfortunately, yeah, he is, and I I was starting to buy into him as just like a really good decision maker who was on a, a situation with those two receivers and Thomas and Sanders. Where week to week, he might have been a steady like QB two, a guy you could mix and match. I certainly thought of against San Diego, with no Jason Verrett, he could do something. Most of the production in this game came from Melvin Gordon, twenty seven carries, ninety four yards on the ground. Which, when you account for the quality of the Denver defense, really isn't a bad performance. Forty eight of those yards coming on one carry, but 
no fumbles lost, and ultimately that seems like a pretty big win for Gordon, volume-wise, who looks to be, workload-wise, as safe as any back in the league right now. Certainly skills-wise, he's behind your elite guys, behind Bell, behind David Johnson, behind Elliott, a tier behind them at least. But I I like the way the Chargers are using him, even with their offensive line issues. He looks like he's very safe right now. In most weeks, I think he's a good threat to get into the end zone too because the Chargers can move the ball against most defenses. Denver just kind of an exception. It was all Hunter Henry through the passing game. Six catches, 83 yards, and a TD. Otherwise, Phillip Rivers didn't get much going through the air. Yeah, no, it, that, that was the case with the Broncos defense stepping up there as well. And they really didn't have much uh, working in ball movement. They, I mean, the only thing that really was working for them was Hunter Henry and Melvin Gordon breaking off one run and not really doing much else otherwise. So, yeah, the, the Chargers were affected by that defense. But, you know, it's just one of those games where they actually decided to hang on in, when they had a, a late lead at this, at this point instead of, you know, giving it away like they have been. They they weren't due, but they actually did something barely right by hanging on. Yeah, that's that, that's been a problem for San Diego, as we kind of mentioned previously. They have not been closing games effectively uh, to this point. But that's that's pretty much all I've got on this game. I mean, Antonio Gates was quiet, 2 for 16, 6 targets. Um, Travis Benjamin, 3 for 17, 5 targets. Another lost fumble. I mean, I don't know if it's going to start costing him uh, looks because they don't have enough depth behind him. It's basically Benjamin... Tyrell Williams and a little bit of Dontrell Inman in the passing game at at the receiver spots. Maybe Hunter Henry's role is safer with Benjamin coughing up another fumble, but I I still think they're going to try to use him as a a big play threat downfield. Yeah, I think so. I I don't think this, you know, obviously Antonio Gates being brought along slowly, but even so, I think maybe Gates is the number two tight end for the rest of the season at this point. Henry does look very much like a matchup problem, you know, big size, six foot five guy, very much a red zone weapon, as we saw last night, catch in on that five yard touchdown pass. And, you know, Benjamin is the guy that can play outside. Williams um, and Inman, you know, rotate in the slot a bit more. But that that's why I th- always thought Benjamin was the safest because he can play that outside a bit better than those two. But I think the other two do have the decent size to do that. So maybe Benjamin does see a few, you know, less snaps. I mean, he was outsnapped by them, I believe, in, in week uh, five. So that's already kind of trending in the wrong direction there. And, you know, we, we said any of these Chargers guys are going to rotate production every week. And that's getting Benjamin with that big turnover not really a promising uh look for his future sticking with our our nothing matters everything is just wildly unpredictable in the nfl uh mantra and and things matter outside of the nfl but in football it's just like what what means anything well nothing at this point looking at the yards per play numbers by team the offensive yards per play numbers are weird like atlanta Leads the league by far, 7.2 yards per play. The explosions uh, against both the Saints and the Panthers in weeks three and four have gone a long way to drive that number. I mean, they're almost a yard per play above the team in second, but the Bears are second in yards per play in the NFL as offenses Hmm. go. (laughs) 6.3 yards per play this season from the Bears' offense. That just blows my mind as far as what they've been able to do. Part of the reason they're struggling they have lost five fumbles this year. They're minus three in turnover margin. The other teams that are all top five in yards per play, it's Falcons, Bears, Raiders, Cowboys, Redskins. The Bears are the only one that have a negative turnover margin. So they're, I think, a bit more interesting than we've realized. And certainly with Jordan Howard emerging as their lead back in the absence of Jeremy Langford, he's not giving that job back. Uh, and Cameron Meredith last week stepping up. They don't 
have this this complete like pushover team. Their defense has also been uh, surprisingly good for as many injuries as they've been dealing with, especially. I mean, they they just don't seem like a team that that rolls over and gets crushed, even though we we've definitely labeled them as one of the weaker teams in the league. Yeah, well, the weaker team in the league aspect does apply to the fact that they do give up a lot of points. Still, there's not much of a pass rush going on there. They're you know the, the defensive skill player is not very good. But for fantasy purposes, you're absolutely right. I mean, Brian Hoyer has been an improvement on Cutler. I mean, we've seen Hoyer do this in stretches for a couple of teams now, and people still didn't want to really buy into that. And he has a good arm to take advantage of guys like Alshon Jeffrey and and Eddie Royal. And you know, can like you said, Meredith is a guy that. It with increased time could be very intriguing as another downfield threat. You know, they have like the Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey duo of those outside uh, players really making noise there. And obviously Zach Miller, you know, with a bigger role this year, even though he's battled injuries himself, that's a, another good team weapon, downfield weapon anyway. So, I mean, obviously the ranking so high is surprising, but definitely not in the, uh, the, the, the context of what they are as an offense is not surprising. You know, that they have a lot of, you know, weapons that they could be a top half of the league type of offense for the entire year. Obviously, that means a drop-off from here to come, maybe a little bit, which might hurt some of these guys. But, I don't know, Howard and Jeffrey, those are guys you're putting in your lineup every week. Yeah, I think Meredith is approaching that status, though, too, because the way Jeffrey's been used continues to be somewhat puzzling. Efficiency, good. Volume, lower than expected. Rounding up the top 10, though, in terms of offense and yards per play, the Steelers, Panthers, Chargers, Dolphins, and Patriots. Patriots will be moving up, of course, with Gronk getting healthier, presumably, and Tom Brady being back. Gronk wasn't on the field for practice on Friday. Still trying to figure out if that means anything, but it's certainly not a good sign. Without any context, we'll see if there's an explanation coming uh, shortly. But the Chargers being in that spot, though, at, at eight is pretty impressive. And what you're seeing is these teams that are surprisingly in there, the Dolphins at 5.8 yards per play being ninth, they're just killing themselves with turnovers. They're minus seven in terms of turnover margin, just like the Panthers are, where those two offenses are a bit better than we realize, and part of the problem is they're not finishing because they're giving the ball away. Yeah, absolutely. I actually tweeted out a stat before about how Ryan Tannehill was third among starters with at least five uh, game started among quarterbacks in uh, yards per attempt this year, and he's tied for fourth in both 20 and 40-yard completions. That's, so, you know, surprising, but it's Adam Gase a lot of that, too. Is he the, I mean, like, look, is he, is he actually a buy low in a, in a two-quarterback league? Because in a one-quarterback league, he might just be a waiver pickup and a guy that, I, I still don't think you want to go more than ever mixing and matching Tannehill in a one-quarterback league, but Adam Gase is sticking with him, and Adam Gase seems like he's a good offensive mind at the very least, like, it it just seems strange to completely write him off. I feel like the only place you'd want to go actively seek him out where there's steady value is a two QB league or a super flex league. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that as your second could easily deliver as a first with, with less cost. And I, I, I think that I trust Gase enough to be a guy that can turn Tannehill around over a full season. Remember, obviously this is the first year uh, in this system. It's going to, you know, took a little bit to, to really adjust to that. Um, turnover is obviously still a big problem there and, you know, Tannehill might, that might plague him for a while, but I think there's a lot of multi-touchdown games, even ending a run in here and there as well, uh, left in his schedule. They face, um, after Pittsburgh this week, they face Buffalo, then they have the bye, then they have the Jets, then they have the Chargers who, like I said, don't have Jason Verrett anymore, then the Rams, Niners, and that's a pretty good schedule for him. Uh, I, I think there's definitely, you know, a, he's going to be a great bye week fill-in for somebody who's desperate, and like you said, a little bit more than that for 2QB, that, that could be a weekly piece right there. Yeah, maybe. May I've got him in the Stopa League, I'm not excited about it, but... 
if you look closer at the numbers, there's at least something to grab onto with regard to Ryan Tannehill perhaps turning things around and still being useful in those deeper formats. I I was surprised to see the Dolphins that high, though, especially because their running game hasn't been that good. And, and one thing that can really inflate yards per play numbers, playing from behind, you know, attempting a lot of passes versus running the ball can skew those numbers, but mm. that's just a higher mark than I would have expected from the Dolphins. At the other end of the spectrum... I mean, the Packers at 5.1 yards per play through four games, that's a pretty big surprise and disappointment, especially when Eddie Lacy was averaging 5.5 yards per carry through this week. Well, I mean, this kind of goes back to what we did talk about earlier in the year about the Packers not being able to push the ball downfield that much. And we, I think we've seen a little bit of that correction in the coming weeks that, that might, that's probably going to push them back towards the middle of the herd a little bit. And, you know, obviously – the the fact that they like like basically the Detroit game was their model for okay this is what they're going to do when everything's right and I, I I think even last game with Jeff Janis playing more as we've talked about he you know maybe he stretched the field a bit with those some of those offensive snaps he had and uh they have the talent to to, to increase that obviously with with Jordy and and Randall Cobb assuming everything's okay with Cobb but uh yeah that that's a case where I'm I'm optimistic for them to really rise up the rankings as the season goes on yeah five point one yards per play for the Packers five point one yards per play for the Broncos now through six games. Games. Uh, the Jags down there at, at five yards per play below five. You get the Vikings at four point nine. A good, good team that isn't doing it with a lot of explosiveness, but certainly just playing within their system and, and not making mistakes. They're plus eleven in turnover margin. So if, if your if your question is, well, how are the Vikings this good if their offense is that inefficient? Well, the key is turnovers. I mean, it, it it answers everything right now about the Vikings yeah. as far as their success level to this point. Yeah, I was going to say, if you add the defense in with the offensive plays, they'll probably lead the league in yards per play with all those takeaways they have. Is net yards per play a useful <laughs> stat at all? Like, if you just look at you know offense, yards per play versus what you allow on defense, I, I think that'd be kind of interesting. It might not really tell you much because, um, I mean, it's... it's well, it, it well Minnesota, like, the bar's so low, it, it wouldn't necessarily make their defense look good, even though their defense is good. Right, it's just just basically adding up how many times you go up and down the field more so than anything else. It's going to mostly evens out, I would think, anyway, in something like situations like that. Because you know, time of possession, you know, being split, you know, generally like a fifty-five, forty-five, sixty-four, you're going to kind of get similar uh, yardage uh, travels like that. I think. Other low teams on this list: Ravens, Rams, Bucks, all at four point eight. The Bucks are a team I thought they'd be closer to at least league average, maybe even top ten. They have disappointed thus far. They, of course, are off with a bye in week six. The Texans at four point seven. That could change this week though with their matchup against the Colts, and then San Francisco in their own class at four point five yards per play offensively. A big part of the reason why Colin Kaepernick is getting the start this week, and I like Cap more than Gabbert, but I don't like the personnel around him that's something I was talking about yesterday as we were breaking down each game it's just that Jeremy Curley is their leading receiver right now and sure Torrey Smith might come to life a bit if Cap can take some shots downfield but Kaepernick's fantasy value for me hinges entirely on how much he's allowed to run if he runs as much as he did you know two and three years ago he could be a good tournament play in DFS but also a viable season-long pickup if you mix and match him correctly Buffalo might not be the best spot for him but I think he can at least hold his own in this matchup if he's, in fact, completely healthy. Yeah, I, I, I go back and forth of what Chip Kelly actually does in helping quarterbacks run the ball that much. I mean, if it's unless it's like obviously like a Michael Vick type or something like that, Kaepernick kind of falls in that category a little bit. But, you know, we haven't seen guys like, you know, Bradford or whatever in Kelly's system 
be like you know Marcus Mariota type in Oregon where they just go nuts on the ground and everything kind of flows from there. It, it still has been just focus on the running backs in, in that type of zone read type of uh, impact and just go downfield still anyway. So I, I do think Kaepernick is not going to be the the dynamic rushing guy that people are, think he will because I think he will be somewhat boxed in a little bit trying to get that system under his belt a little bit. I, I, Torrey Smith's the guy I do see benefiting, but I'm not running out to you know trade for him or anything like that because he's he's already was an inconsistent guy to begin with. Yeah, Torrey Smith is still like in the best case scenario, a wide receiver three that you don't feel great about. Like that's Mm -hmm. what he's been even at his best. I feel, I feel like, cause it's not a high volume output. And in case of, of Kaepernick, I mean, how many big shots downfield is he really going to take? I think that's a fair question to ask as well. Uh, let's take a look at the key injuries heading into week six. Uh, Tony Romo is kind of on the, the back burner just based on the fact that Dak Prescott's playing really well. And it seems like he's making progress, but he still hasn't been cleared to play. So I think we're looking at like week nine at the very earliest before Romo is actually an option for the Cowboys again. I wouldn't believe anything Jerry Jones says regardless. He'll probably come out and say the, the, the exact opposite thing of what he said the other day next week or something like that. So, yeah, I, I, no reason to rush him back. I mean, until Dak really – if Dak really starts to show cracks against Green Bay, which is possible, uh, you know, sometimes Green Bay can have some pretty wild fronts that, that could, you know, uh, affect quarterbacks. I, I think Prescott – it's it's got to be his job until he, he, he shows otherwise at this point. I mean, I know they're trying to get Romo back to be the face of the franchise, but – I don't know. How do you do that if, if if Prescott just keeps giving you keeping things efficient, not turning the ball over like Romo is often prone to do, and obviously avoiding sacks better than an, an, an older Romo would would be able to? It's it, it, the Cowboys could do a lot of stupid things personnel wise, though. So it's very possible that they bring Romo back before it should happen. Yeah, the Packers' defensive <laughs> game plan should be entitled "Cracking Dak." I mean, the the ongoing concern I have is that the run defense hasn't been tested yet and even if it had Mm -hmm. been Ezekiel Elliott's a tough matchup for any front I think Zeke can still get four yards of carry this week if not a tick more the key is going to be limiting the big plays avoiding 25 plus yard runs from Zeke if they can contain him that much then I think they can make Dak throw more than the Cowboys want to throw it that's going to be the key matchup that Green Bay run defense versus the Dallas running game led by Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, looks like there's a chance Des Bryant will play this week, but the Cowboys are off next week, Tim. It just seems weird to me that they would bring him back right in front of the bye with an injury that would only heal up if they give him more time. I mean, he's practicing on a limited basis all week. I think he's going to be listed as questionable, but I just wonder if he's on the more doubtful side of questionable for week six. I, it boggles my mind why they would still play him if, if the progress really hasn't been made from this yet. I mean, we, we you know, when it first happened, you and I thought maybe he could come back for Green Bay, but it doesn't seem like the healing news has really made it so certain that he would. And maybe they want to just – maybe they figure that, you know, the Green Bay secondary does have a little bit of, uh, you know, they're still banged up a little bit, right? So that's kind of a thing. Maybe they want to throw Brian – quote-unquote a bone of statistics to get him going again, but I, I don't think it's worth the risk at this point. No, I don't think it is worth the risk either, uh, but we'll see what they decide. Uh, other side of that matchup, Eddie Lacy, a little dinged up with an ankle injury. We mentioned Randall Cobb before. Both players appear to be fine. Lacy's been limited in practice this week. Well, James Starks has been away 
um, and, and dealing with a personal matter. He returns to the team on Saturday. Mike McCarthy saying, though, that Eddie Lacy, no worse for the wear after practicing earlier in the week. So it looks like Lacy's going to be available. And if Lacy's available, my interest level in John or in James Starks, of course, is zero. John my, Starks. my interest level in John Starks <laughs> is zero. Uh, James Starks uh, near zero at this point. I don't, I don't know why I do that. I don't even care about the Knicks or John Starks or anything like that. Well, it's a, a beat-in habit from childhood, I guess. I think you're just trying to trigger my Nick fan memories of uh, of 1994. I uh, guess. When, yeah, the game seven. I really don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's move on. We will move on. <laughs> Sammy Coates has a, a laceration on his hand. He was out there on Friday. Could be kind of a game-time decision, though. And I love what they're doing as far as increasing his role. Eight targets in week four, 11 in week five. Tore up that terrible jet secondary, scored twice. Uh, he's averaging a ridiculous 22.2 yards per catch and 13.6 yards per target because, Tim, Sammy Coates has caught a pass of 40 or more yards in each of the first <laughs> five games this season. This is why I was all over him coming into this year. He is the one that actually looks and plays like Martavis Bryant. I don't get why people didn't make that comparison off the bat. He's the Coates is the deep threat. Coates is a guy who's going to be doing those go routes in comparison to Antonio Brown just being all over the field. Coach is the guy they're going to send to win those matchups. And I, I, I don't, I, I was, you know, the, the fact that the skill set to match is almost exactly to Bryant should have tipped people off to that. And Coates is obviously a guy Ben loves to just throw it up to. And yeah, absolutely. Obviously last week was a great matchup for him. Miami is still going to be a decent matchup as well. So I don't, there's no reason to bench Coates. I think in any format, unless obviously the injury uh, jeopardizes him. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if he's active, I'm playing him, but <sighs> Just maybe dial back the target expectations right. slightly because there, I think there is still some uh, soreness with his hand. Cam Newton listed as questionable because probable doesn't exist anymore. Uh, full participation on Friday. Just needs final clearance from an independent neurologist in order to play. If he's cleared, do you feel comfortable using him against the Saints? I mean, it's a great matchup. Yeah, I, I, I would not bench him unless I had you know like a maybe if I had another quarterback that I'm trying to think of who I could actually bench him for it's not, it's very very small list I think Mariota against the Brown I mean, I'm just thinking of like a realistic yeah. backup you would have on your roster if you had Cam it'd be a lower maybe end guy Dak Dak too maybe Dak maybe. against the Packers Mariota against the Browns uh maybe Alex I, Smith against the Raiders weather depend the weather pending in that one yeah, I think I, I think I'd still go Cam in all of those to be honest. If he's if he's good to go, yeah. As long as he's cleared, I think you you have to use him because at New Orleans is a excellent spot for him to rebound and have a big game. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin and Jonathan Stewart both appear to be fine as well. The only thing that makes all three of those guys uh, worth double checking on on Sunday is that they are another team that has a bye after this week. So even though Jonathan Stewart fully participated in practice for the second straight day Friday. The Panthers could decide, hey, it's not worth it. We can give him another week to rest with the bye week coming up. We can run Cameron Artis Payne again, and there won't be that much of a drop-off in our running game, and they can go back to Stewart in week eight. But no indication from the Panthers that's their plan. It's just a matter of looking at the schedule and the context of the season and, and what they want to do in maybe, order to keep their players healthy. Yeah, maybe they, you know, one in four, you figure, all right, see what Jay can give us this week because it's a very important divisional game. Yeah, it so. is kind of a, a must-win scenario for Carolina. No Jordan Reed at practice on Friday. Not a surprise at all. He was scheduled to visit with an independent neurologist on Friday morning. Uh, he hasn't been officially ruled out, but it would be crazy to me to see him on the field uh, with his fifth diagnosed concussion since coming into the league. I, I just I can't. I I don't think he plays again this year. 
that that's not enough for anyone to cut him, but you have to start thinking about life beyond football if you're Jordan Reed and five concussions in a span of what four years is just it's it's insane to go back out there and try to play again it's at least multi-week absence territory and you, like you said you do have to kind of think about what your fancy life would be without Reed you kind of have to maybe get that tight end obviously now because the late week confirmation of a concussion is terrible news for his chance to play this week and obviously you want him to be healthy you know for for like you said living his life and yeah it, it's pretty pretty disheartening that it happened again to such a talented player and a guy who does seem to like you know really be all about about the game and life and stuff like that so yeah i mean for for your fancy purposes you, you do have to you know build around him until you hear further notice right now internally niles paul vernon davis both can probably see an uptick in targets perhaps seeing most of the targets that reed would would typically get we'll see if we get any sort of indication from washington as far as what their plans are for Reed. Uh, Latavius Murray still dealing with turf toe has been held out of practice this week. Even if he goes to him, it's a reasonably tough matchup against Kansas City and the way he was used before the injury doesn't make me all that confident in throwing him out there in season long or in DFS. I mean, outside of him being yeah. a GPP contrarian play when he's active again, I just I don't really see it right now with Latavius Murray. I was going to say, contrarian, absolutely, in, in DFS is the only extent I would go with that. And uh, He's obviously such a game pace influenced running back that you do have to be careful of what you get out of him. And like you said, the Chiefs is more of a, a case where I think that they're going to have to you know, pass a bit more. So, you know, Murray's going if, to, if, if he plays, he'll still, you know, 10 or so touches maybe. It, I'm not really excited by that in most formats unless I'm really by-strapped and, and desperate. And, you know, obviously DeAndre Washington and Jalen Richard you know, they, they, they kind of split the production there. Richard actually had more touches, I believe, last week. And that's just a mess, depending on the formations they're going to use and the defenses they face. The Oakland backfield is really, really frustrating either way. One more injury to throw out there. Steve Smith not practicing Fridays. Mispracticed all week with an ankle injury. Uh, that would seemingly open up snaps for Brashad Perriman and Kamar Aiken. Uh, but Mike Wallace and Dennis Pitta probably get a slight bump as well if Smith is forced to miss that game. I, I, I'm not counting out Steve Smith until his name shows up on the inactives list, but doesn't look good for him for uh, week six. So we'll see if anything changes as the weekend approaches. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business, and it all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, there's no coding needed, Tim. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You nice. can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. The result is stunning. I mentioned the Ravens there uh, just briefly, talking about Steve Smith not practicing on Friday. Do you see any big changes coming from Baltimore now that Mark Tressman is out? Uh, Morty Morningwig is in. I have to wonder, one thing that Mario Puig speculated on during the Friday XM show was that this could be more of a ground-heavy attack. And in, in this land of uh, crockpot, couch, chili, <sighs> Terrence West is averaging five yards a carry. So getting the running game to be more of the, a focal point in this offense is something that Morningwig could 
reasonably justify. I mean, we saw Terrence West get 21 carries in week four against Oakland, 11 carries against Washington in the losing effort last week. Are we looking at Terrence West as a 15 carry per game back now with Morningwood calling the shots? I think you have to. Obviously, the probably the impetus of one of the impetus, impetuses, impetus I, impeti. Do, do you know the plural for that, by the way? I have never, I've <laughs> never tried to use the, the plural of impetus. All right, well, you know, new territory on this podcast with the English language. I'm a very much appreciative of that. It, lo- it looks like impetuses. <laughs> That's what it looks like on uh, on the Google. That's so weird. Um, but I, I think that one of the big drawbacks to that offense, like, you know, against the Redskins, they only ran West, I believe, 11 times, maybe less than that. And he was averaging like five or so yards a carry in that game. And they could have controlled the pace much more easily. They keep they kept abandoning it too easy under Trestman. And I think Morningweg, you know, he's got a kind of diverse history as an offensive coordinator. He's been, you know, coordinator for the Niners a bit. And obviously had coached the Lions and Eagles, a little bit of offensive work there, the Jets, um, you know, some decent background in running games there. So I think that there's a case where he does look to Terrence West a bit more. And, you know, maybe that when Kenneth Dixon actually gets up up to shape, he's, you know, a little bit more of a, of a flex option in fantasy as well there. And I don't know, I, I think they have to challenge deep more also. I mean, obviously Steve Smith possibly being out this week doesn't help them in there, but they do have, as you said, Perriman, that, that's a good option to pair with Mike Wallace, who was brought here to really challenge people downfield and hasn't really had the chance to do it consistently yet. So more running, more, you know, vertical passing. I like that combination for the Ravens with, with Joe Flacco throwing it down there. Yeah, you think about it in context of, I mean, the Ravens' official site was very positive about the change, which they're positive about everything the team does because that's what right. team sites are there for. Team but speak, yeah. You, you might think of, of a coaching change like that just being a game where if you like the matchup, and I certainly don't hate it against the Giants' front that can't get pressure on opposing quarterbacks right now, you know, you might have Marty Morningwig trying to do a few things to fire up everybody. You might take those shots downfield early, and you might have a trick play or something like that woven in. And I kind of think it does give the Ravens at least a short-term lift. I don't think it makes them a, a great team by the end of the season by any stretch, but their defense is playing well, and if their offense can be just average, they maybe can exceed expectations as a team yet again this season. Yeah, I think so. I, I at least think there's a more of a ceiling with Morning Morningweg uh, calling the shots there, just because they they do realize that there is a change that needs to be made. Hopefully, and Flacco's arm, you know, for all the flaws that Flacco's as a quarterback, he does have a big arm, and they don't use it enough. So, shout out to the time though, uh, probably ten, eleven, maybe twelve years ago now, where uh, Marty Morningweg at the time was the head coach for the Lions, and in Chicago, very windy sort of day, very typical Chicago day, but a bit more windy than usual uh one marty morningwig uh, won the coin toss for overtime and deferred mm-hmm. and this is with the old overtime rules uh so the bears you know took the ball and kicked a field goal and won and uh it, as a, a more impressionable uh, younger person uh, i was sitting in my parked car listening to the end of the game and i just recall like punching the steering wheel repeatedly <laughs> in frustration because at the time I was a Lions fan as uh, as a yep. uh, in my late teens. That was that was the terrible life choice I continued to make. And uh, man, he he's not a bad coordinator, but he was abysmal as a head coach. Now, granted, the personnel the Lions had to work with throughout the Marty Morningwig and, and Rod Marinelli eras, if you want to call them eras, it was less than stellar. I mean, it was just bad parts. That was a big part of it, but. It was a miserable experience as a fan uh, in the in the early two thousands and mid two thousands. Well, I, I think all that will be forgiven if he gets Terrence Westmore fantasy points. 
So yeah, I don't have Terrence West anywhere, so it's not <laughs> it's not going to be that redeeming. But if I can if I can get lucky with like Mike Wallace or something like that, I'll I'll back off uh, the Marty Morning Shade from uh, from my late and late childhood early adulthood would be the the more accurate description of when that happened. See now. We brought up John Starks and we brought up that game today. We're, we're really doing a number on ourselves psycho- psychologically. I mean, I, I think I, I buried this podcast with the, the crockpot chili plan that I unveiled. If anyone is still listening, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, we're going to take a look now at the DraftKings board and try to find some value. Uh, Cam, if he comes back, is your most expensive quarterback of the week at 8100 On the other side, it's Drew Brees at 7900 Are you paying up for one of the top two options on DraftKings at the quarterback? position this week it's tempting but i think the way that the game plan should work with building the actual team i i'm not paying up for quarterback this week there's so many nice uh you know mid-range or lower options that i'm i'm looking deeply at here uh, i mean as you talked about that that chief stack is pretty pretty tasty it's probably gonna be done by a lot of people uh but it's one that in a cash game could really you know keep help you keep pace with everybody um Brock Osweiler is a guy I'm actually looking at with confidence this week. I think you mentioned that in the podcast yesterday. And, you know, that that's a case where it might be too cute to go, you know, to go against the grain. But it makes a lot of sense when you consider, you know, that that Colts secondary is, is a pretty um, easy option for the passing game. And the other one I'm looking at strongly is uh, Tyrod Taylor at home against those Niners um, at 5,300. You know, there's a lot of profit built in there for a guy that runs as much as he does, too. So. I was on Russell Wilson before the weather reports for Seattle started to come in. doesn't look great. Saturday looks worse than Sunday, uh, but it sounds like it's going to be windy and rainy. It's, it's, the, it's the wind more so than the rain that I'm concerned about, barring it like a monsoon-level uh, rain. But with Wilson, I liked him before at 6,900. Probably going to just walk away from that. Uh, Oakland also has some weather concerns for what it's worth, but I was thinking Derek Carr. I was thinking even Alex Smith. In combination uh, with Macklin and Kelsey, probably going to be careful with that game too, depending on what the next uh, 39 to 44 hours weather-wise bring. Right. Uh, if it's not windy, I might take that chance still. But you're right about Tyrod Taylor. 5300 is a pretty good price. He's a good GPP option. Um, do you pair him with Robert Woods? I mean, do you pair him with Charles Clay? Like you you got to put him with somebody, right? If, if you I, if you believe yeah. enough in Taylor to make him your quarterback, you have to. Also, nudge in one more pass catching option. Maybe even if, if you're really you really want to go balls to the wall this week, Tim Taylor, Charles Clay, Robert Woods as a trio. And if Taylor somehow hits on three TD passes and like runs for one, you might win the Millie Maker. That would definitely be a lineup that would win you the Millie Maker. I think Charles Clay would be my stack there at, at twenty nine hundred. I mean, that's pretty pretty profit heavy. That is and a I think that- throwaway price. And I think the Niners have given up a lot of points to tight ends so far. Jimmy Graham, Jason Witten even had a little decent game against them. Greg Olson torched them in, game, in week two. They're looking to get Charles Clay. They should look to get Charles Clay more involved. I think this is a great opportunity to do that at home against a traveling Niners defense across the country. Charles Clay is looking pretty beautiful at tight end, I must say. Tyrod and Robert Woods combined <laughs> cost $500 less than Antonio Brown. <laughs> the- the first ten thousand dollar player in a couple of years, right, or something like that on DraftKings. I haven't. Yeah, I don't remember seeing a ten thousand dollar player in football before, but I my memory with this stuff is is bad. I, I think it's been a little while, at the very least, it's um, been like a couple yeah. of years. Michael Rathburn, one of our DFS guys, had a tweet on it. Um, 
I would suggest you guys go at Fantasy Wrath and look it up. I forget exactly what it was, but it was definitely like maybe it, was, it seemed like it was 2014. The last time it was a ten thousand dollar player. So it has been yeah two two years now. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell's only seventy nine hundred when Antonio Brown is ten thousand. I mean, it's full point PPR. That's part of it, but. Le'Veon Bell is averaging 25.1 fantasy points per game, the two that he's played. <laughs> like, he's been better than Brown in terms of his per-game output. Maybe you can't bank on it continuing, but it's weird to me that there's not more inflation on the high-end running backs. Yeah, it's very surprising. Uh, you know, the Miami matchup, it, it's, it's, it should be considered pretty good. I don't think statistics really do justice how much that the good running backs have, you know, gotten so many points all over them. Like, you know, DeMarco Murray had a good one. LeGarrette Blunt even had a nice little effort there. And you're, you're right. I, I think it's a case where, you know, we saw Coates kind of outshadow Brown last week. It might be that case again. Or Le'Veon Bell, this really is the case where he takes over finally. So, yeah, I, I think I'd rather have Bell than Brown this week. I love the the Bell, DeMarco, Murray, like going heavy at running back this week or like mm-hmm. Bell and Zeke even going against the Packers. Zeke's right. kind of contrarian in some ways. Coming off a big game last week, I think is going to ease the concerns of, of some. Yeah. But you see that that red first in the opponent rank column. And I think it's a deterrent for at least the casual players because you look at it and you start second guessing yourself. But 7,000 for Zeke, averaging 21.9 fantasy points per game on DraftKings. That, that's, that's a nice price. Well, I mean, I wrote about it uh, this week, actually, on World of Wire, one of my first couple blogs. Um, I, you know, you, you got to look deeper at that number. You can't just assume it's red and one and be like, oh, no, it's not going not gonna to help Elliott. The, the Packers haven't really faced a really great run team so far. They faced the Jaguars, the Vikings, with a, a slow Adrian Peterson and eventually an injured Adrian Peterson in that game. And then the, the Lions, who can't run inside to save their lives, and the Giants, who don't have a starting running back. So yeah. it's a very much the Cowboys, that, you know, that's going to be a nice little wake-up call, at least to have Elliott be low at number one fantasy back numbers. I, I'm not benching Elliott anywhere this week at all, just because of, not because of that, it's alone, for sure. So here's the deal, too. Running back is one of the positions where I just kind of like all the top options. I like mm-hmm. I like Bell. I like Murray. I like LaShawn McCoy at 6,900. Uh, I like Zeke, as I mentioned before. Gurley's only 6,700 against the Lions. This could be a good spot for him to put up a big game. And Lamar Miller against the Colts is 6,600. I mean, there's, there are five running backs I feel very comfortable with near the top to the point yeah. where spending up at running back looks like a great way to go. And I like the fact that there's enough quality options where ownership rates on each of them shouldn't be through the roof. Like they're all priced in ways where I think people are going to mix and match and it's not going to be like a case where guys are owned more than 15% in most GPPs. The, the, the matchup allowance for running backs this week lines up really well, like you said, with the top tier. And I love Lamar Miller. Uh, I, I don't want to pack all my Texans in there, but yeah, you obviously have to choose one or the other, the quarterback wide receiver stack with Hopkins or Miller at running back. I, you know, I, if we're talking about the, the ridiculous Buffalo Bills lineup, I'd start Lamar Miller in a heartbeat there, maybe with Elliott or, or Bell, or maybe all three if you could save the money. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I love it. I mean, I love the idea of going heavy at running back, trying to save a bit at wide receiver, and, and just really taking advantage of the soft pricing. I mean, I think I like Charles Clay at tight end. Even if you don't want to use Tyrod, I think Clay is 1A, 1B with Robert Woods as far as who's going to get targets right now. And even on a team that won't throw it a ton, I think they can throw it effectively against San Francisco. I like that it's a home matchup for the Bills as well. Tyrod doesn't look bad. It's something I said in the XM show today. He just doesn't have great weapons. Like he, The offensive line looks pretty good. I think that's part of the reason why Shady McCoy has looked as good as he has this season. But I think Shady's also healthy. But Tyrod Taylor just looks comfortable as an NFL quarterback. I, I'm kind of buying into the skills. I'm just not overwhelmed by what they have 
for him as far as weapons with Sammy Watkins on the shelf. Oh, absolutely, and that—that's where a reliable guy like Clay should be should be targeted more. And I, I think that uh, you know the, the change to Anthony Lynn actually has, I believe, increased him to a more run run friendly offense. I, do I have that right? I think they the the uh, script flipped for them as a more running team, and I think that'll help Taylor as well, anyway. Yeah, Greg Roman trying to air it out too much in a scenario where it didn't really make a lot of sense to do it. Uh, looking further yeah. down at running back, though, Carlos Hyde at, tw- at fifty one hundred. That's not bad. I mean, if, they, if, if San Francisco is going to keep that game close, Kaepernick's not turning the ball over and Hyde's playing well. And Hyde's getting volume every week, kind of like Melvin Gordon, where pretty reliably you know what he's going to get in terms of his opportunities. At the same price point, Jonathan Stewart, if he plays at 5,100, could be pretty low-owned against that soft Saints defense. Not a bad way to go if you want to get someone who's probably lower-owned than the Bells, the Murrays, and the McCoys. But even those guys, as we said, it's going to be spread around, I think, reasonably well based on the quality of the matchups Uh, jamal charles could be low owned this week at 5100 i think there's a lot of uncertainty about his role that's a big question and then terrence west we talked about earlier 5000 going up against the giants yeah and and that that defensive line as you said has had some issues there uh but i even like ryan matthews at 4900 even more got to see what that injury report obviously says you know for this week but that 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 redskins uh run defense pretty brutal in terms of being bad. It's really bad. And Matthews had that costly fumble at the end of the game against the Lions. I, I wonder, he's averaging 3.3 yards per carry this season. I wonder what his threshold is to keep that job. And if there's a point where Wendell Smallwood could just take away either a share of the carries or maybe even take away the starting job outright because Smallwood's down at 3,200. I don't know if you can roll him out there this week as more than you know a GPP flex, like blindfold play. Like, hey, I'm going to do everything chalky but then if Wendell Smallwood replaces an injured Ryan Matthews and rolls up a lot of yards and gets in the end zone, then I'm going to be the guy that, that separates from everybody that has chalk with a player that has a good matchup but just has a really uncertain role heading into Week 6. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the morbid part of this game, predicting <laughs> in-game injuries. <laughs> yes, uh, and Ryan Matthews, if you had to rate players likely to suffer an in-game a new ailment. I mean, he'd be pretty high up on that list. Uh, tier one, tier one, definitely. T- tier one yeah. on the gonna get dinged this week. <laughs> Chichi. Unfortunately, I mean, Ryan Matthews went healthy. He's a good player. I just, uh-huh. I always question whether or not he's actually even close to a hundred percent. We mentioned Antonio Brown, ten thousand at the wide receiver spot, uh, more than a thousand above Julio Jones, twelve hundred above Odell Beckham in terms of his cost for this week. Are you building any lineups with Antonio Brown in them? No, just the running back, as we talked before, the running back crop is definitely much more profitable at their high prices. Uh, and even wide receiver overall this week, I mean, I think it's the way to, to, to go to, is to go against the top guys. Maybe if you really want to be clever and go with the Julio Jones contrarian that he avoids, you know, avoids, you know, the Legion of Boom coverage. I mean, we saw Brendan Marshall go all over Richard Sherman a couple weeks ago. I think Julio Jones could easily do that again. I mean, repeat that performance. That's like the only thing I can really think of. Maybe people be scared of him facing Seattle. They will be afraid of Julio. Won't get a lot of love this week for for the obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And Seattle's coming off the bye too. Seattle getting extra time to scheme defensively and to rest up. That makes the, the event even more dangerous, especially if the conditions are less than favorable 
for the passing games in that game, and it certainly looks like that could be the case. Uh, Beckham at 8,800 is seeing some pieces. I know Davis Maddock wrote one uh, suggesting that maybe Beckham's just not going to be the player he was prior to this season with McAdoo calling the shots, but McAdoo was the offensive coordinator last year. Like, what? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if I can buy into that narrative just yet. I, I, I'm, I'm more inclined to buy something along the lines of Eli Manning just regressing and, and not being the same, and that may be making Beckham less enticing than he was before, but McAdoo is a constant. He was there last year. That's true. Um, but do, do sometimes, as, as a head coach, do you change your mentality in some aspects? Maybe you you, you try to be less aggressive because you know it's your job on the line and not Tom Coughlin's. I really hope that's not the case, <laughs> but man, that, it's. I guess you can't rule it out. It's 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 silly. Um, we yeah, about- I agree, but who knows, you know. With head coaching, anything, anything's possible. I don't know what's going on in the mind of, of Ben McAdoo, and I, I know we'll, we'll get the usual Chris Liss uh, shade on Monday. So if you listen to the SiriusXM show, brace yourself for that. Uh, Allen Robinson down at seventy eight hundred, not a terrible play against the Bears. Bears defense better than I thought when I looked at the numbers in detail, but that's a good price on Allen Robinson. Uh, Brandon Cooks's price is down a bit at seventy six hundred. Good matchup for him against Carolina, or is he just a player who is overrated right now? I think it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of shares of him. I think this week because of you know people. It's fun. All right, here's the thing. It's funny because it looks like it's a bad matchup, but those Panthers cornerbacks have been pretty much um, thrown around a bit by good receivers. I think Cooks is a guy that can do that. And I think the contrarian play will actually turn out to be almost. I don't want to say majority play, but a widely used play is to use Cooks this week. I'd rather have Hilton at seventy seven hundred to be honest with you. Yeah, Hilton at 7,700, getting tons of volume with Dante Moncrief out. Gets a matchup against Houston. Amari uh, Cooper is not bad against Kansas City at 7,500. The only thing is the Marcus Peters matchup. Is that enough for you to stay away from Cooper, or do you like him as a contrarian play? Um, contrarian, maybe, but I, I, I'm with you. I think Peters is enough to kind of let Derek Carr go elsewhere, because obviously Carr has found that he'll go to Crabtree if you know the matchup isn't there for Cooper. And they'll distribute the ball even more so down the line with guys like Seth Roberts and stuff like that. So yeah, Cooper, I don't think the, the upside is there even at a little bit, a somewhat okay price at 7,500. I'm not, I'm probably not going to buy into him this week. I like Jeremy Macklin a lot. If the Mm -hmm. weather's not bad, 6,300 great in the full point PPR format that uh, DraftKings has. Uh, You go a little further down the price list. Randall Cobb appears to be fine with that, that neck strain or bruise that they were describing. The neck soreness, I think was the official diagnosis. I like Cobb at 6,000 as a mid range option. You may not have to go to that level. And then Will Fuller's right there at 5,900 as well. Assuming health from him. If you like, Brock Osweiler at all against the Colts defense, and you probably should, based on what Brian Hoyer and the Bears just did to them last week. Fuller at 5,900 definitely has some GPP appeal for me. Yeah, I mean, it obviously was a 1,600 cheaper than DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe you figure the Colts might double Hopkins if that even works. Uh, you know, if, if you want to go to him like a Macklin Fuller. Uh, maybe like a Philip Dorsett stack with that or something. If you really want to go cheaper, you want to get one of the really underpriced Ravens, you know, should Steve Smith not play that that's another Avenue I would be looking at with either Brashard Perriman, maybe in a GPP or Aiken in a cash game at both at $3,000 at like, minimum pricing. I don't, I don't mind Wallace at 5,200. I think with the Aiken and Perriman, it's a big question as to just how much they get involved. But Aiken had 50 catches in the final eight games last year, and he's just been a ghost. I mean, he has the rapport with Joe Flacco. If, 
they do, in fact, uh, have to sit Steve Smith for this week. Some other names I think that are interesting, uh, I would say Chris Hogan at 4,600 is on the radar. Devontae Parker at 5,000. And if you think Tannehill getting volume in what should be a shootout against Pittsburgh can be productive, that looks good. I think Michael Thomas will be heavily owned, but could be a a very good cash play at 4,300 against Carolina. Cameron Meredith down at 4,100. I'm I'm kind of buying in. I think it's it's pretty real at this point, Tim. Yeah, uh, we talked about it even last week before anything happened. He has the physicality to be a, a solid NFL wide receiver, good outside presence there. And, you know, Eddie Royal being hurt and being just kind of there to kind of take up space a little more so with Meredith. And I think Meredith obviously has more explosiveness than Royal. So yeah, Meredith at that price for sure. It's, it's, a, it's a, it's a definitely better return for you. Kind of doing what Scott Smalls always wanted to do before he got to be a part of the Sandlot, just, just taking up space out there. <laughs> uh, let's see Tyler Lockett. I would like him if the weather wasn't a concern as a GPP play, not really getting volume though, playing with a bad knee. So that's probably enough to avoid him for this week. Tavon Austin's getting some buzz, 3,900, always kind of a GPP consideration because he doesn't need a lot of volume to be explosive. And the Lions just seem like a team prone to giving up ridiculous big plays. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely a, a case for Terrell Austin's unit, definitely not uh, good at containing opposite defenses. I, you know, I look down, I see Terrence Williams at 3,800. You know, we have a love-hate relationship on this podcast with Terrence Williams, it seems like. And against the Packers, you know, that secondary we talked about a couple times, Maybe that's the Dak Prescott connection this week. Yeah, Sam Shields, unfortunately, kind of in the same boat as Jordan Reed. Several concussions in his career. You just worry that he might not make it back at all. He's got to think about the long-term future. And I know the Giants didn't really expose the Green Bay secondary, but if the Packers are trying to sell out to stop the run, that could make things even more difficult for that secondary. And a guy like Terrence Williams does creep in as a GPP consideration, along with Bryce Butler again, if in fact Des Bryant sits this one out. Bryce Butler only 3,500 this week. Uh, let's talk tight ends. We talked about Charles Clay at 2,900. He's probably the best cheap option on the board. If the weather's not bad, Kelsey is in the mix for me at 5,000 against Oakland. Delaney Walker at 5,500 is really appealing. Gronk, I don't. I haven't seen a reason yet for why he wasn't at practice on Friday. Is there any indication that he's suffered a setback or was it just kind of a personal matter? Like I have to know more before I could even consider him for a lineup in DFS. Yeah. I, I don't want to look at him until, you know, like, like you said, if something comes out over the weekend, um, maybe change my mind and say, okay, he's fine. Uh, but it's still, I mean, he's still got better guys. I mean, I, I probably, even with the weather's messed up, I'd probably almost rather have Jimmy Graham at 4,900. If it's a full PPR, he can give you, you know, 20 points by just doing 10, 10 yards per catch. If everything goes, goes wrong there with the weather and then just check down to him all the time. Yeah. That Wilson Graham, like Baldwin trio was on my mind earlier in the week. I might still consider a share of Graham for this week. Even if I don't go with Wilson again, double check the weather on Sunday. It's going to be important in a few different places. What do you make of Fleener at 3,500? One good game and four attempts. If you like the saints against the Panthers at all, the saints coming off the bye and being at home, I think Fleener's in consideration for anybody thinking about like Michael Thomas or the other depth options in new Orleans. Yeah, and you know, Saints coming off the bye, you figure they probably re- re- reworked some things in that, in that offense. Maybe Fleener has more time to get the playbook, you know, under his belt, getting you know, a little bit more adjustment time there. Panthers have had some, you know, um, they've given up some uh, four touchdowns to tight ends this year. Uh, very interesting number. Uh, big play to Vance McDonald. Uh, Kyle Rudolph got on them. Uh, Austin Hooper and Jacob Tammy score on them in the same game. Fleener, if they get down the red zone, Fleener could be the guy they go to again. I'm going to make a stupid call that nobody should act on, but. Everyone's going to probably go after Vernon Davis 
as the fallback cheap tight end. I feel like Niles Paul is going to outproduce Vernon Davis. I, that wouldn't shock me. I, I, I don't want to go after Niles Paul or Vernon Davis in any league, really, unless there's one league that I, that I play in that is forced to start two tight ends. Maybe that's one league where I have to consider it. But Niles Paul has obviously been there longer, you know, the, the, a little bit more familiarity with the team, and I could definitely see that too. Davis is obviously very inconsistent, though he's very talented. So You got a, a defense that you like this week? Uh, Eagles 3,100, probably going to be a little chalky. Um, you know, that 3,100 is actually not a bad price for a chalkish type of team, though. Uh, they were playing, obviously, the, uh, the the Redskins. Obviously, if Jordan Reed can't play, that offense is pretty darn limited. If you really want to go cheap, interceptions. And if you don't want to buy into Brock Osweiler, the Colts are 2,200 as a defense. Mm-hmm. They're on the road, though. If it were Colts at home, that might lead me to, to take that step. But the fact they're on the road is probably enough to be a deterrent. Yeah, I think so. If you want to do the Bears and the Jaguars, the Bears are 2,300. That could work. I mean, yeah. if, you're, if you're concerned about the Jags not figuring it out, the Bears have overachieved defensively. This could be a spot where maybe, maybe you get lucky. Maybe you get a defensive touchdown or special teams TD or something like that. The Jags are always prone to disappoint. All right, Tim, before we sign off, what's, uh, what's on tap this weekend? You got anything good in the fridge? Well, um, no, still on my, uh, my non-alcohol until Halloween parties start. So I actually feel somewhat coherent. This podcast, I think, has been a little bit better than in recent weeks. So, uh, you know, maybe the effects are there mentally for me. Um, actually, going to go see Avenue Q tonight. I don't know if you ever heard of that uh, musical. Mm, no, I, I, you know, I, I need to culture myself in a way <laughs> where I'm more familiar with the, the Broadway musicals. Well, yeah, obviously, New York's going to know about it because there'll be ads everywhere. Obviously, it's about a 15, 20 year old musical. It's, uh, it's actually puppets that are, you know, actually kind of like raunchy millennial types. So, Weird. yeah, interesting. Um, got discount tickets on Groupon, you know, that's the way it works and, uh, going to go, going to go see it tonight with the girlfriend and, uh, you know, just have a chill weekend, I think before Sunday madness picks up again. All right. All right. Enjoy, enjoy the show and then the and, night out, yeah. uh, I will, I will get the crock pot cleaned up and, and ready to go for, for Sunday. That's my big yeah. plan. And I, I was mentioning that Belgian quad, that barrel aged Belgian quad. I can't find it. The place I went to, to get it. I was about four days too late. It came out on a Monday. I went Friday and the guy's like, well, we had four cases and they were gone almost immediately. So those, the people, those beer people act fast, man. You got to like almost be on newsletters for that sort of thing. And it's, it's crazy. The distributors run out of things hours after you get there. And, uh, it's, it's, it's nuts, man. It's, uh, it's a chase though. You know, you know, I love that stuff. So it's always a big uh, part of our hangouts and, uh, have a good time with that, that, that couch chili. I definitely want some uh, Twitter photos of that. You, you got to make this a thing. Probably going to be the week where I figure out Snapchat too. Maybe I'll snap some photos, videos, both. I don't. I don't even know what Snapchat does. So. You could do like a you could do like a ten ish second video of something on Snapchat. So I'd probably just make a gif of myself laying there on the couch, like reaching over my head, <laughs> scooping, and just yeah, it's gonna just be. just blank stare at the television, just like. That's all you do. Just you know? zone, zoning out in kind of like a hopeful Millie Maker sort of food coma. That's that's yeah. that's my weekend. That's what I've got <laughs> planned. So thanks nice. again for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Nick and I are going to be back with you maybe on Monday. you got to tweet at me. Save Whalen if you want Nick to return. Otherwise, I will find a replacement for Nick because that bacon take was completely outlandish. Have a great weekend.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.